When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I kept having this reoccurring dream. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it was more than just once that I had this dream. And finally I screamed in my dream, what do you want me to do? And Carl Jung calls it the big dream. The voice said back to me, use all your gifts, use everything you have. And I said, you want, at the time I was a, I was a decorator. I was a designer for about 10 years. And I hadn't been singing for many, many years because I raised my children. So when the dream said, what do you want me to do? And it voiced back, use all your gifts from the deepest part of you, every one of them, and you will be able to find a peace and happiness that you've never experienced, I promise you. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I'm your host, Renita Hora. And I have with me today, Lissy Kaplan. She is a porcelain artist. A porcelain artist, what does that mean? She has hand-painted porcelain collections for dignitaries and heads of state and private collectors from around the world. And you can see them in the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel and in the collections of the late Nancy Reagan and the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, amongst others. Now, Lissy... The Queen of Teacups. How did you get to be known as the Queen of Teacups? Oh, boy. Well, it, I have to give credit to my, my late mother. It all started when I was about 13, and she noticed that I had um, a soprano voice, like she did, and she wanted to give me my first voice lesson, and she said, let's gentle your vocal cords with a nice cup of tea. And she would bring out her beautiful hand-painted tea service, she loved here in China. And so that's what started this ritual of tea and teacups from a very early age. So you started off life, you, you trained to be an opera singer, but then yes. you say that porcelain became your canvas, in fact, after your mother passed and you didn't yes. choose it, but it chose you. So tell yes. us more about that. Well, before my mother died, she said she was coming back as a hummingbird. And I know this is not related, but it kind of is. She said that um, I will see her shortly after she passes. And I said, how am I going to see you? There's, a, there's so many hummingbirds. She said, you'll know. It, 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 the journey is kind of interesting because I was going through a very, very hard time after she passed away. And um, I was heartbroken. She was my 
not only my mother and my best friend, she was my voice teacher, she was my pianist. It was all related. And so I was really having a very hard time. And um, I kept having this reoccurring dream. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, and it was more than just once that I had this dream. And finally I screamed in my dream, what do you want me to do? And Carl Jung calls it the big dream. The voice said back to me, use all your gifts, use everything you have. And I said, you want, at the time I was, a, I was a decorator, I was a designer for about 10 years. And I hadn't been singing for many, many years because I raised my children. So when, it, when the dream said, what, what do you want me to do? And it, it voiced back, use all your gifts from the deepest part of you, every one of them, and you will be able to find a peace and happiness that you've never experienced, I promise you. But you're going to have to use everything you've got. So that dream kind of, it meant something, but I wasn't quite sure. It did shake me up. After my mom passed, um, I went to her home and looked at all her beautiful pieces that she had left behind. And she had left me all her beautiful hand-painted teacups. And when I walked in her home, they were just sitting there, just like time stood still. And I walked around the house, and I took, I sat down for a moment, and I looked at the teacup that we had shared so many beautiful moments with. And I peered into the design. And it was like an artist from long ago captured under a glaze forever. And it just, something spoke mm -hmm. to me about this art form. Mm -hmm. It was magical. And I thought, who's painting these pieces now? What is this art form about? And all of a sudden I got very excited thinking about, I wonder if I could paint something like this because wouldn't it be so beautiful to be able to leave heirlooms behind also in my lifetime? Like my mother left me, these precious heirlooms that the teacup, what is so interesting about a teacup is that when you're having tea with somebody, it's not only the warm liquid, which is kind of opens up the spirit, I feel. It's also looking at the person across from you having the tea. You make a connection. Hmm. And I just liked holding the teacup in my hand. It was like holding a little bird. It felt almost like a little offering, like something sacred about it. It grounded me, just holding the teacup. So I packed up my car and I ran home and I put together a studio and I found a teacher to teach me this very ancient art form, which is very difficult to learn. It is, you're actually an oil painter mm. and your canvas happens to be porcelain. So you're painting on a slippery surface and the glaze is already part of the porcelain. It's not like pottery where you glaze after. So you're painting, you're like, you feel like you're ice skating when you're painting. It's very fluid. Mm, yes. Almost like a brush painter. Yes. Almost and, like yeah. some sort of mindful meditation. It reminds yes. me of the whole Zen yes. art of tea, even though, okay, yes. that's, that's a tradition from Japan. So it's a little different, but it's all related. Now, I have, I have to ask you, though, before you continue, did you see a hummingbird? Yes. So this is so interesting. Before 
I cleaned up my mother's house with my two sisters. I was, I was on a job decorating, and my head was down, and I was not enjoying decorating anymore. I mean, it was a beautiful art form, but it wasn't fulfilling my spirit. So I was walking, and all of a sudden, I got hit on the head. I thought it was a bumblebee. And I looked up, and it was my mother. It was a brown, a little brown hummingbird. And I said, Mom, oh my goodness, that's you. You, you really came. And, and I felt the message was, yes, I'm here. I told you I will be watching for you. Come on. It's all going to be okay. Stand up straight. I'm with you forever. You're going to be fine. And it just kind of shook me. And mm. it really re made me realize it was, she was really part of my life still. And after many years, I kept seeing her off and on in the yard. She would visit me as a reminder. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, it's beautiful. Now, porcelain, so you, you started painting this porcelain mm -hmm. after your mother passed, as we said. And you say it's, it's a very difficult art form because you're painting on a slippery surface. In your book, you mm -hmm. said a porcelain artist is part mineralogist and part alchemist. What yes. does that mean? Well, you're working with crushed glass minerals. That's the paint. And you're mixing it with a very fine oil, which is made of cloves and other beautiful recipes that are ancient, and they smell delicious. It's almost like it's intoxicating. Mm. And it used to draw me into it every morning. I would smell it and sit. Now, also, you're working with a kiln. That's your fire. That's your alchemy. So every layer of porcelain painting has to be fired separately, each color. So you have to really be a mindful person and very patient. You cannot rush it. Also, when you're painting, you don't really know the colors until it's fired. You could kind of tell the colors, but that's the alchemy because the fire mixed with the minerals forms a union in the kiln, and it's a magical experiment and experience when you open up the kiln after three hours of firing and three hours of cooling. It's under the glaze, and it's shiny and magical. It's beautiful. There's a lot of work that goes into it. It's a lot of work. Not to mention the least of it, which must be planning the design. I've noticed that in yes. your work, there's a lot of, uh, you know, garden, garden images, environmental stuff, birds and flowers and mm -hmm. things like that. Is that sort of your central focus, if you will? It is. Um, if you want to know how I got into the so much of the teacups and the relationships with other people. The first tea setting I did, I called Mimi's Garden. And my, my, we used to call my mom Mimi. So that was the first garden. And so what I would feel as an essence of the person's spirit. So if a client would come to me and they would say, I want you to paint a design for me, most of the time, I would not, they would not say, oh, I love roses or I love peonies. What I would do is I would say, come sit before me, bring some of your favorite colors, maybe some of your childhood memory pictures or something, and I would get a feeling about them. And then I would paint in, in a floral, 
their essence. It's almost like a portrait, mm. but in flowers. And then I would interesting. And yes, so that's why when I say queen of teacups, what I mean is it was more of a, I would feel the person and then give them a signature essence of flowers in their particular mm-hmm. who they are, what I felt about them. And many times they would cry because they would feel their spirit. And I would offer it to them, the collection, and I would say, this is, this is who you are, your beauty. So that's how that kind of happened, and that's how I do it. And that's the same thing how I did it with the, with the hotels. Mm. They would yes. Would, tell us about the hotels. <laughs> well, the first hotel, the Peninsula. Um, how I and got that job. And this is the Peninsula Beverly, Beverly Hills. Hills. Um, so I had been painting for a while, and I had been doing the dignitary gifts for our state of California, the poppies. And I got into a beautiful store. My collection, one of my collections was received by Gary's in Beverly Hills. So I was in a really happy mood and I went to a dinner party at the Peninsula, Beverly Hills, that my sister was having. And she told me to bring some of my pieces to decorate the table. And the general manager walked by and he said, these are so beautiful. Who's, where are these porcelain little pieces from? I'm talking about napkin rings, little vases, things like that. And my sister mm. said, that's my sister, Lissy. She's the queen of teacups. <laughs> oh, so she coined the phrase. Yes. And so I started laughing. And he goes, do you, can you do a tea setting for our hotel in Beverly Hills? We want to make our tea room magnificent. And I said, of course I can do a tea setting for your hotel. Mm. I am the queen of teacups, <laughs> after all. And so it was kind of a cute little, you know, whimsical thing we were doing. So Mm -hmm. he didn't tell me what design to do. I studied the tea room. I I researched Hong Kong, the the first, um, you know, peninsula Beverly, the first peninsula that was established, hotel hotel that was established. And I got a I got a feeling about the design. So that's how that happened. And what was in the design? I felt crocus flowers and little um, blue bur- little bluebells, like little lanterns, like little Chinese mm. lanterns. It mm-hmm. just felt very Asian but European. Asian and, but European. Uh, so the mix had, and match of the Peninsula yes. brand, starting from Kowloon and, and coming to Beverly Hills. How yes. fantastic! In three and three colorways, so they could mix and match. And so um, yes, so Lissy. I mean, the way you describe your process, and especially the flowers, it's it seems to me something like what is evoked from the conversation with mm-hmm. whoever comes to sit with you is somewhat of a spirit flower, kind of like we might refer yes. to a spirit animal, right? Yes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to understand how you personalize. So, for example, I read that you have created, um, that you have painted porcelain pieces for the late Nancy Reagan and for Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, and you personalized these sets. So I read that for Hillary Clinton, you used bold colors to symbolize her personality. And so tell us about that and what you did for Nancy Reagan. So I was um, invited to paint 
teacups for the first ladies. At that time, it was it was um, Tipper Gore, with the vice president, Hillary Clinton, and the governor's wife, Sharon Davis. So mm-hmm. I was commissioned to do three teacups to be presented to them at a benefit. And so I got a feeling for each one of the first ladies. Now, Hillary, of course, her essence to me is very vibrant and strong. She was somebody that had her own voice and was not afraid to be controversial and just felt her. So I gave her my brightest pink paint Mm -hmm. and I gave her an open rose, very strong. An open rose, okay. Yes. And Tipper Gore was at that time talking about her depression. I gave her a sky with soft flowers. So this is how I do it. And then when Sharon Davis, the the, um, governor's wife, I gave her something very kind of not tight, but something very prissy, kind of dainty, but Mm -hmm. elegant. She called me right after she received the teacup, and she said, I want you to do our dignitary gifts for our state of California. And so that's how that happened. So it was, I, well, all I can say, Renita, is I've been on a magical journey. And the minute mm. I started porcelain painting, I was given, I, I would say I was on my heart path. Mm. I was getting openings from the universe like, keep going. This is what you're supposed to do. Indeed. Because it, was so, it was special. From what I understand, your work can be found in the collections of Deepak Chopra and Tony Blair and Madeleine Albright. It seems to me that when you are at work, there's a lot of emotion that goes into that, which in some ways is the way an artist, any artist of any kind, works. But... Mm-hmm. You said in one of your books, when you were talking about grieving for your mother, you said that every stroke you painted helped you grieve for her. And every petal you painted was like a peeling of the many layers of your lives together. That's just beautiful. So explain that a little bit. I will say to you, a porcelain artist, all of them want to learn how to paint a rose. That is like the ultimate flower because... If you can learn how to paint a rose, you can paint any of the other flowers. Hmm. So when I worked with my teacher, I said, I want to paint that rose now. You know, <laughs> she said, oh, no, it's going to take years, maybe five years to learn the rose. And I said, I'm already an older person. <laughs> I think I was 44 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait a minute. She said, you'll see. So it was really humbling. And I went home in my studio, and I started going in my garden and looking at the rose and really looking at it from the inside out and how each petal touched the core, the heart of, of the rose. And as I was studying the rose, I started unpeeling who I was as a person. I had been living kind of tight. I had three children. My first marriage was very hard on my on me. Mm. And um, I didn't realize the toll it had taken. And the rose, I will say, was my greatest teacher because in learning how to paint the rose petal by petal and being still with it and studying it and smelling it, I did find myself again. 
The rose, you say, is learning how to paint it on porcelain is like climbing Mount Everest. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a certain twist with your wrist to get the petal to go, to open up like that. It's a technique that is almost like you're an orchestra leader, and it it takes it takes years to feel it. And one night in my sleep, I was doing it with my hand, like moving it up and down, like like an orchestra leader. And I kind of felt it in my psyche that I can I think I know how to do it now. And the next morning, I woke up and I started practicing. I I had blisters on my fingers because oh my goodness, I was starting to feel the essence, the, the technique. And it, you saw in the book that, that vase, that was mm. my first attempt. And I cried when I finished that piece. I now, felt earlier, like I had achieved something. And earlier you mentioned the distinction between an open rose and a, and a uh, I suppose, a budding rose, right? Mm-hmm. For You said that for Hillary Clinton, you specifically chose an open rose to represent her personality. What is the difference in your eyes? Well, she, to me, she was open to everything. She, mm-hmm. she was a person that took chances. She developed herself. And so I just gave her the open because to me, she was a woman that was, and I met her finally. Mm. And she had a very strong personality. And I heard her speak in person. So. That rose definitely was her. She was an open rose. And she wanted rose. you to see her. To me, this is how I felt. Lissy, if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything different? I really wouldn't. I, I'm very blessed that um, in my lifetime, I was able to put my heart into something and share it with others. That to me is a, is, it, it's, it was my greatest pleasure and my greatest gift that I could be felt by others by my work. So I've got to say I'm at peace later in my life now. I really am. That's great to hear. Now, I'm not sure if I explained to you earlier, but the premise of this show is to, once this interview is done, throw it out to a fiction writer with a writing prompt and perhaps a title, in this case, Queen of Teacups, to see what inspires them and what they create. My question to you is, if you could give the fiction writer a writing prompt, what would it be? I want them to think about, for me, the teacup as an offering. It's a sacred vessel that is held in the, in the palm of a hand. And when it's given as a gift, it's an offering to be felt by others for generations. Mm. Now, traditionally, was that always the case? You mentioned that the formula for making porcelain was created in China in 1400 AD. Was that the purpose, to create something to give as an offering, as a gift? I think in those days, um, when it was brought into Europe, it was as valuable as jewelry and gold. Mm. And so in those days, they, it was a sign of prestige and wealth to have porcelain and they used to just decorate their walls with it and actually put jewels on it. But in China, I think it was more of an offering. The, mm-hmm. the first diminutive bowl was made, like a little teacup. I think it was a, a, more of a sacred um, vessel as part of the tea ritual, as if we're talking about the teacups. 
but porcelain itself, when it started getting very popular, it was more about giant vessels and plates and things like that, decorative items. Right. So the porcelain that we know of with, you know, the willow pattern plates and, you know, all of these, I don't want to use the word standard, but the designs, if you will, that we know of from these porcelain companies, I guess my question is, how is that, that's very different, but how does your work differ so vastly from what is commercial? Well, 90% of the porcelain, even Limoges, most of Limoges, are decals. And I'm not saying anything bad about that. Now, here in China is hand-painted, but they're stenciled on, from my research. I'm freeform, so a lot of the um, porcelain artists, they do have a theme in mind, and they tell a story, but sometimes they do little scenes or flowers. I just think... I don't care so much about the technique as more about the spirit of when I paint. Mm. Do you You're giving I mean? me ideas, Lissy. <laughs> I might need to ask you to help me find my spirit flower, too. <laughs> oh, yes. I would love that. Yeah. And anybody else. It. I can And anybody feel else it. who's listening to it's this show. So, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find your work, your designs in general, your porcelain in particular, websites, stores? Where can we find you? Well, if you go to the peninsula, of course, the tea ware, you know, they have tea twice, two sittings a day. And all the tea ware is hand-painted by me. That's one mm -hmm. place. Um, the Reagan Library has a collection. I have a website. And what is that? Um, it's www.lissi, L-I-S-S-I, Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, one word, dot com. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of pieces on there. And, and you've you got always some make, books. I have two books, The Power of a Teacup, Light as a Feather. And you can always make an appointment with me and come to my studio. And we can have a cup of tea and talk. And oh, that sounds fabulous. Do it the old-fashioned way, the way I started 22 years old, ago. <laughs> the old-fashioned way. And we can find those details on your website, how to make an appointment with you? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. There's a little section that says comments, and you can write that in. Wonderful. Lissy, thank you so much. It has been such oh. a pleasure to speak with you today, and I can't wait to see this fiction piece that comes out of this called The Queen of Teacups. Me too. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you so much, Renita. It was such a pleasure. Really Likewise, Lissy. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which, of course, is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Teacups, written by Michael Colucci from Lowell, Massachusetts. Canbury Street changed for the better the day Olivia Bannum hung her first portrait. The neighbourhood blended with the poorest districts in London, as shades of grey covered every wall, road and roof. It took until the turn of the 19th century for Canbury to see an artist like Olivia, and in a community full of factory workers and mill hands, she added some much-needed colour to the grey. 
William, her husband, and Oliver, her firstborn, were cut from a very different canvas. To them, the future was in manufacturing and textiles, and so was the money. Then there was Belle, Olivia's 14-year-old daughter and protégé. While most young women were sent by their fathers to work in the textile mills, Olivia forbade it. The extra income wasn't worth her daughter's soul, nor was it worth the innate talent Olivia knew she possessed. Belle's dexterous hands proved perfect for tiny porcelain pieces. Like this, mother? Belle asked amid a lesson, proudly holding up her teacup. On the side, she'd made her best attempt at painting a hummingbird with a rose in its beak. Her mother's patented style. Close, Olivia answered. Belle's face sunk, weighed down by disappointment. The hummingbird was perfect. The rose, not quite. The rose is the hardest flower to draw. It took me years to master and will take you. Olivia's words of encouragement were cut short by a violent cough. The kind of cough that burned her lungs and left specks of blood in the palm of her hand. Thankfully, her palms were already stained in red paint. She wouldn't have to lie to Belle. It'll take you just as long. Remember, it's all in the wrist, like you're conducting the Queen's Orchestra as they walk the spring parade. Olivia finished. You've seen the Queen's Orchestra? Belle asked excitedly. As much as Olivia wanted to tell the story, she knew she'd never get the words out. A backlog of coughs reduced her answer to another time. Sadly, that time never came. The fall of 1847 saw illness tear through their district like cavalry through a pumpkin patch. The cough claimed loved ones under every roof. The Bannam children gathered to say tearful goodbyes to their mother. William was either at the factory or at the bottom of a bottle. Olivia pulled her children close. You can't go. You just can't. What about the rose? Belle begged. I'm not going anywhere. When you need me most, keep your ears to the sky. The hummingbirds will let you know when I'm near. Thousands lined the streets of London for the spring parade. They hoped only to catch a glimpse of the royal family, but the backside of a knight's horse would have sufficed. Belle sat with a few friends along the parade route. They dressed as eloquently as they could, given their low status. However, the teacups they sipped from stuck out among the crowd. The Queen's carriage passed their corner, and the girls raised their cups in reverence. However, one guard mistook their reverence for mockery. How dare you mock the queen, he yelled, slapping their teacups to the ground. The porcelain shattered and slid out into the road. We meant no disrespect. Honestly, please, you must understand. What are these? he asked, grabbing at Belle's clothes. Stolen hats and linens I can smell the streets you three hail from. Suddenly. 
the carriage door swung open and out stepped Queen Victoria. Everyone within a hundred-mile radius knelt before her as she inspected the broken pieces of porcelain below her feet. She picked up a larger fragment depicting what was left of a hummingbird grasping a bundle of tulips. Where did you get these, girl? asked the queen, staring down at the top of Belle's head. I, I made them, your majesty, Belle answered, an answer that garnered a communal laugh amongst the guards. The queen, however, was unamused and laughing dissipated back into silence. I haven't seen porcelain this beautiful in all my years, said the queen. I have a test for you, if you take it. What, what kind of test? Belle asked, entangled in equal parts confusion and excitement. Come to the palace in one month with a teacup crafted especially for me. Something with a rose, yes? Yes, yes, of course, your majesty. One month and I can change your life forever, said the queen before stepping back into her carriage. The race was on. Why the rose? Belle screamed in her thoughts. Anything but the rose. But no matter how desperately she begged her in a monologue to change the queen's mind, reality continued to stare from every direction. She spent most of her waking time practising, sleeping or eating. Orders backed up in Patricia's shop as Belle focused all her energy on perfecting the Queen's Rose. Every failed attempt was followed by the sound of crashing porcelain pieces. Belle threw herself back into her work with little time and fewer reasons to grieve. She was due on the palace steps with a beautifully painted rose on a beautifully painted teacup in exactly one week. She'd reached her boiling point. Where are you? Belle begged, surrendering herself to the open sky. Listen for the hummingbird, she said. Well, I'm listening, I'm listening, and I've never heard anything so quiet. She fell to her knees and begged for any inkling of a sign. And she got one. Next to her ear, Belle heard a faint buzz. A hum, if you will. The hum of wings flapping rapidly against a tiny frame. The hummingbird hovered in place, staring at Belle as she stared right back. Then as quickly as it appeared, it vanished. The bird was almost too swift for Belle to follow, as she could only make out the blur of its movements. Finally, it stopped again, and Belle understood it to mean, follow me. The bird weaved through stalls and under branches, and although it moved too fast for anyone else to apparently notice, Belle never lost track. It led her several blocks from home before settling on a fence overlooking a colourful garden. This was one of your favourite places, Belle said. She turned to look at the bird, but it was gone. Hey, hey, where did you go? Don't leave me again, not yet, not now, Belle whimpered, fighting back tears. But the bird hadn't gone far. 
The humming of its wings settled back on the fence, only this time holding a rose in its beak. Belle took the flower and smiled from ear to ear. It was time to paint the rose. Petal by petal the rose took shape on the side of Belle's final attempt. As the conductor leads the orchestra, she led her paintbrush to craft the most beautifully painted rose on the most beautifully painted teacup. Guards lined the castle steps as Belle walked towards what felt like destiny. Her masterpiece was concealed in Olivia's hat box, and it would hopefully be the last time her work was transported this way. She stopped on the last step and removed the hatbox lid. Inside were two teacups, one for the queen and one for herself. Was it a fool's dream to share a cup of tea with the queen? Belle didn't think it would hurt to ask. Everything Olivia had taught her boiled down to this very moment. Belle had made teacups for every person in London, all except the one who meant the most to her. She never made it inside the castle that morning. An engraved stone crucifix marked Olivia's final resting place. Belle knelt in front of her mother and removed the teacups from the hat box. She balanced the Queen's teacup on the right wing of the cross and poured two cups of freshly brewed tea. Then a familiar sound filled her ears as the humming of wings fluttered past her head. The hummingbird landed next to the Queen's teacup, tilted its tiny head and stared at Belle. If hummingbirds could smile, this one most certainly did. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.